Welcome to Launched. I'm Charlie Chapman, and today I'm excited to bring you the creator of the wonderful developer resource app, Cocoa Hub, Pedro Carrasco. Pedro, welcome to the show. Hey, Charlie. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I'm like very excited to talk to you. The stuff, like a couple different things that you've done have gotten me really excited over the, uh, the last couple months. And so you've been on my list for a while. So I'm glad we finally uh, got this worked out timing wise. Yeah, I'm really happy for you too. Uh, <laughs> so here on Launched, we like to kick things off with a little icebreaker question from the audience. So today, Jordan asks, are you a single monitor or dual monitor person? Oh, that's a really weird one to ask. Well, I, figure, I figured uh, in these weird times where lots of people in our field are working from home, uh, this might be extra relevant to people. Oh, it is. And it's especially relevant because I'm considering to switch my answer in a few months. Ooh. So usually I'm a more than one monitor kind of person, but those ultra wide monitors are really sweet. So mm. I'm really considering to kind of switch my whole setup to a single but really big monitor. And I believe that will not only look a little more beautiful in my desk, but it will also help me to be more organized. Because when you have a lot of different monitors, you kind of tend to use a specific monitor for some things and only use one for the most important things. But if you only have one big monitor, you'll probably be able to, you know, kind of try to organize your work in a better way. Yeah, that's it's one of the weird things. Uh whenever I switched over to Mac OS for my normal work a long time ago from windows where like in windows, you're used to like every monitor is just one big full screen app. And so having two monitors meant you could have two apps going at the same time. <laughs> but for some reason on Mac OS, even whenever I was working on my 13 inch uh, MacBook pro, like if you like, even right now, if you look at my monitor, there's just like probably six or seven disparate windows sort of they look like they're haphazardly placed but they're all very intentional and i'm making sure there's a touch target so i can bring anyone to the foreground at any time and so i have sort of the same feeling is i kind of like having one giant monitor because then i can more haphazardly or again haphazardly looking place all my windows everywhere in a sort of strategic way as opposed to feeling like constrained to there's one app on each monitor Exactly. Uh, the problem I have with more than one monitor is usually that my main monitor is cluttered with stuff. And then I have well, like the other monitors just for one single thing that's kind of side uh, to the, the main thing that I'm doing right now. For example, if I'm coding, I have like the main monitor with the terminal, the Xcode, the sketch, everything. And then I have just one monitor for a messaging app. And that's like, like yeah. <laughs> not optimal at all. Yeah, Slack always gets its own giant monitor, doesn't it? Yeah, so I feel like by going to a single monitor that's big enough, I'll be able to organize things and kind of focus easily on tasks that I want to do. So if I'm coding, I want to have that kind of feeling that I must have Slack on the other monitor or any kind of messaging tool. Instead, I'll just have Xcode and probably a small terminal lying around. Yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. I'm My work at home setup is sort of weird and I'm adjusting it right now, but... I'm actually sort of experimenting with, because uh, at time of recording, like last week, they just uh, released the beta for the new iPad OS that has trackpad support. And I think supposedly today yeah. is when it'll actually come out. And so I've actually been using my my iPad, my little 11 inch iPad with a giant uh, ma magic trackpad as my like uh, Slack and email 
like side monitor. So it's even even more separated from like, you know, my actual developer workstation. And then I have my big monitor, you know, for Xcode and all that stuff. That, that's a fun thing to do. Uh, have you tried using Sidecar for using your iPad as an external monitor? Yeah, yeah. That I've used that mostly when I'm like at a coffee shop or something as a way to sort of give myself an extra monitor that I can throw, you know, Safari window into or whatever for like if I'm coding, if I'm stack overflow coding, you know, where you need to copy and paste from one to the other. The usual. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's Sidecar is like amazing for that to be able to turn the iPad into just a free wireless portable external monitor that you can have, you know, in a coffee shop. But, but I kind of like the separation that I've had and I've only been doing this for a couple of days here, but uh, I kind of like having it be literally separate computers where the mouse doesn't even cross between the two. It kind of keeps me from as organically switching over to reading Slack or something. Yeah. I might give it a try because I've tried sidecar and to be honest, I, uh, it didn't really work well for me because I don't know if I don't know if this, the screen ratio that is way too small from what I'm used to, or if it, you know, or if that's because of that, um, moving my mouse to that small screens feels like a little weird. So I might give that a shot uh, on having like messaging tools or and maybe some task management tool on a different kind of setup that being the iPad instead of just extending my my computer to a new monitor. Yeah, it also has the benefit of uh, saving that precious, precious RAM that uh, Slack loves to use up. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> That's probably the best benefit of doing so. I mean, I exactly. mean it's because on, on the iPad, you are using the native iOS app for Slack and not the Electron one. So that should be a lot better in terms of performance. Yeah. Yeah. You lose a couple things like the ability to quickly switch between workspaces because you actually have to slide that little panel back and forth. Um, but but so far, it's been nice. I've liked it. And I've just liked using the cursor uh, right now because it's very novel. And so, you know, we'll see what the oh, long term yeah. feel of that is. I still have to do that. I mean, I still have to install the beta. I, I didn't do that yet because of time constraints. But that looked so, so nice. Yeah, it's it is very cool and definitely uh, worth checking out. Yeah, I'm really curious to see if they will bring that to the Mac OS too. I mean, that cursor looks like an, a level up, a leveled up cursor compared to what Mac OS already has. Yeah, I I have all sorts of thoughts on the cursor. I'm very excited with the decisions that they went with on that. So, yeah, that's yeah. that's a podcast for another time. Uh, <laughs> so, if you have any questions that you'd like me to ask guests on the show, you can tweet me at launch.fm with the hashtag icebreaker, and I might ask a future guest your question. Um, so before we get into Cocoa Hub, I want to give everybody kind of a primer on who you are. So the three questions I always ask everybody is, where are you from? Do you have any formal education related to what you do? And what was your career like or is your career like uh, pre-Cocoa Hub? So I'm a 24 years old guy from Portugal. Uh, I have a degree on, in software engineering and I have been doing full-time iOS for the past three years. Uh, right now, I'm working remotely at Twist, a company behind Todoist and Twist. And ever since I started working professionally, I've been doing iOS since then. Nice. And so getting into Cocoa Hub itself then, um, I guess the first thing is, can you just give me kind of the pitch for what the app is? Oh, I can. So Cocoa Hub is an iOS application that gathers news, articles, and events related to Apple's programming ecosystem in the palm of your hand. It's an app from developers to developers with almost all of its tech, including content, being open source on GitHub. And so what, what is it that like led you to want to build this? 
No, so you want kind of the origin story. Yeah, yeah. So this is going to be really weird. <laughs> that's that's my preference. <laughs> uh, I can see. So I'm a huge Pokemon fan, and I was building an application for the Pokemon Trading Card Game as a side project. But then, uh, around February of last year, the Pokemon company decided to launch an official app for it without further notice. So I was like, "Yeah, I got to find a side project to do. What should I do?" So I started looking for something to build in my free time, and I noticed that I mainly used Twitter to stay updated with what was happening on the iOS engineering community. But somehow, I kept missing stuff in the middle of all the things that were being shared in Twitter. So I started researching the concept and what would be the kind of content that would be reasonable to share, and that's how Cocoa was born on March 2019. March 2019. So this was before uh, iOS 13 was announced at WWDC, before like Swift UI became a thing. Oh yes, unfortunately yes. Okay, so is not to get too technical, but is this app was this app built with Swift UI? It wasn't built with SwiftUI originally. Um, during the summer of last year, uh, during the time where most people were starting to share things around SwiftUI, I was kind of in the middle of a big decision. I was like, yeah, I'm still kind of in playing in the shadows with this app because no one knows about it yet. So maybe I should start rewriting it uh, with SwiftUI. So the answer to this question was kind of postponed to the end of the summer, uh, but then I decided, oh, come on, I cannot keep delaying this project. I have to release something. So I decided to release it on test flight with the UIKit version. After that, during September, November, and October, of course, uh, I've decided to try to convert the app to use, to use SwiftUI. But unfortunately, due, mostly due to performance or features that I wasn't able to accomplish with SwiftUI, I decided I should focus instead of on the product, instead of what's the technical foundations be, uh, below it. So building it in SwiftUI is definitely something that I'm looking forward to, to do, especially considering it's a side project, so I better get something from it. Uh, but right now it's using plain UIKit as almost every app on the App Store is. Okay, interesting. Like the reason I just assumed it was SwiftUI is because it, it has that sort of like... I say modern, but what I really mean is post iOS 13 design to it that makes it kind of feel like a Swift UI uh, app, which is something I find really interesting and I kind of like because it it's not an explicit de- design language thing, but it feels like it's something that my brain is starting to already associate with new apps. Was that like when did you design the app? Was that on purpose? Uh, that's a good one. So, uh, the app wasn't always like it is right now. Uh, it, it was very close to what it is right now. But for example, uh, back in June, when Apple announced uh, the new table views kind of sections, the, the inset group that gives that those kind of rounded aspects to, to the cells. Uh, the app before was using a, a similar style, but it was all hard-coded because we didn't have that style back then. But then after June, I decided, okay, if Apple is doing that, then I can also migrate to this. It's not exactly the same, but it looked pretty much the same. So I decided to go for it. So yeah, we can say that Cocoa is heavily inspired by what iOS 13 brought to us because the time frame where it, when it was designed and released, it's pretty much the same. So I, I managed to start designing it before WWDC. But I ended up releasing it after WWDC, so I had that time frame to adapt and kind of prepare myself to what Apple was doing. Yeah, that makes sense. So you mentioned that you started the beta in the summer, at the end of the summer, right? 
Uh, yeah, I think so. I think it was in August. And then uh, you released the app, like, what, maybe a month ago? Maybe not quite a month ago? A couple of weeks ago as of we recorded? Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, that was a really, really long beta cycle. Uh, I'm curious, like, one, was that on purpose? Like, were you planning on it being this long beta cycle? And then two, what were sort of the effects of that? I think you are never planning to do a long beta cycle. <laughs> but when you're doing a side project, I mean... We all do this. You, ca- you keep delaying things. You keep saying, yeah, what about this little technical niche? I mean, for the users, this won't change. But for me as an engineer, I want these arch- architectures to be perfect. I want this <laughs> little small function to, do, to be testable, to do whatever I want it to do, to be small. So you keep kind of doing things that won't really increment the quality of your products for the user, but you just do it for yourself. And that's pretty much how Cocoa kept being delayed and delayed and delayed. Now, in your case, you have a little bit of an actual excuse for that, though, don't you? Because it is open source. And so, presumably, there's probably people using it as a resource. So, you at least have an argument for uh, why you should make your code pretty, I guess. Oh, I still don't have it. Because, well, most of the the stack is open source, but the application itself, it isn't right now. Oh, okay. Sorry. I mean, the server, the content, and the website are open sourced and since the beginning. But for Yep, like when, when you are going to open source an app, you better have some documentation and make sure everything, you kind of have a workflow. So if people add features, you can make sure things are going correctly. So for that, you need time to prepare documentation, prepare CI, prepare everything, kind of a whole setup so everyone can contribute without having to be burdened with, oh, I don't like that code style. Oh, I don't, you shouldn't do that this way. No, because if people are contributing and spending time, you don't want to waste even more time explaining them, oh, you shouldn't be doing this way after all, after all the work they put into it. So I'm still working on it, but if people keep requesting features, so you kind of have to decide if you want to push the open source or push in features. And right now I think that pushing feature is more important. So my plan is to open source Cocoa application during 2020, but I'm still not sure when. I, I appreciate hearing that because... I feel like there's a lot a lot of these uh, developer sort of resource uh, types of apps or projects in general. I feel like there's a lot of times a big sort of fervor on Twitter or whatever uh, of people asking those developers to open source their stuff as if it's just a button like you're you're actively closing source it. And why won't you just, you know, open the window and let everybody look in? And I've always heard, but I've never run one myself. Um, but I've always heard that like it's not that simple. It is a lot of work. So I like hearing like <laughs> there is actually stuff that you have to to do in order to do that. And by making something open source, you're taking time away from feature work that you could be you know making the app better or whatever. Exactly. I mean, in the end, it's pretty much just clicking a button. But what you don't see is all the work people have to put before it. People have to prepare documentation. People have to prepare CI. People have to have a good test suite. So they make sure that if you're doing adding some kind of new feature, you don't miss anything. It's just a whole lot of work. And well, when you're doing that on a side, on, as a side project, you don't have all the time you, that you want to do that. So it's closed source. And I mean, this is like your project, but at least in the app, you have, you have, I think like nine different contributors credited. What, what was the team? that you sort of built around this? What were they doing? Were they helping with development or is it with content? Uh, most of those contributors are most are pretty much the first kind of beta testers that Cocoa had. So they, they were the ones that kind of gave me feedback when I was 
developing the idea and the concept. So if I, I, I told to them, oh, I'm considering getting news, and they were saying, oh, yeah, news of this kind would be cool and this kind and that. So they are pretty much what helped me define what Cocoa is right now. And there are also some of them, like, for example, Richard, who, is, who was our first uh, content contributor. He was the first one that went on GitHub and started, and started posting news and articles and updating events when nobody asked him. It was like, that was a moment I realized that, okay, this can really be a community effort because nobody asked him and he started contributing like the project was his. And when in fact, my main goal is that this project is from the community. So that's why, for example, you see Rashad there. There are also other names there because uh, during Oktoberfest, that is an event for developers uh, that happens during October every month where people are kind of motivated to work on open source projects. So for for last year's Oktoberfest, I decided that I should probably open that for the server of Cocoa. And one of those people right there is responsible for the sorting on an article. So you can have all your articles sorted by their tag and then alphabetically. Oh, nice. The thing that's interesting about this app too is it's it's sort of collecting all sorts of developer news into one spot so this was like a lot of the newsletters or uh like apple uh newsroom articles or whatever kind of get collected into this app but then you also do have your own newsletter i guess you you call them additions in the app yeah um is that all sourced from the community as well exactly and uh for example all of cocoa is completely open source in terms of content uh, like i said there's a repository on github that mirrors its database and anyone can submit pull requests or comment issues therefore contributing to the comments to the content everyone will see on the application and i'll include a link to that in the show notes if anybody wants to check that out or contribute themselves oh that will be awesome and keeping as i was saying uh, as an example we also have the weekly newsletter of articles that we call editions like you said and we usually open an issue every week on Monday and people can submit articles from anyone until Friday. This is usually where the community helps the most with your shot, like I mentioned before, our first contributor being notably active there. Um, usually I'm the one more focused on delivering news, updating events, and in the end of, of an edition, usually on Friday, I wrap up the edition, do the final touches and send it to everyone. Yeah, that, so the events is the other thing. And honestly, uh, whenever I first heard about this app, that was the thing I was the most excited about because it's a tab that's just a big list of all the sort of Swift iOS. Uh, I guess, what is the actual, before I get into this point, what is the actual uh, sort of filter uh, or target for this? Is it Apple development in general? Apple development in general. That could be Mac OS, iOS, watchOS, OS, TVOS. Am I missing something? I don't think so. But yeah, that, that's your, that's the target. Yeah. So the event tab shows like all these different conferences and when the dates are. And you have like a little tag on there for whether they're accepting uh, like speaking requests or if their tickets are available to buy now or whatever. And like as somebody who's very new to this world, the iOS world, and specifically this year uh, before, you know, the whole world fell apart, uh, was planning on really trying to dive in and try to go to some conferences and try my hand at speaking at conferences. I didn't already know what all of the conferences were. Usually I found out about them whenever people I follow would post that they've, they're going to speak next week at this thing. And I was like, ah, I didn't even know that existed. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to solve. Yeah. And like, it was this amazing resource for like 
uh, way ahead of time, I could find out about these conferences that I wouldn't have even known to Google beforehand. And and again, the, the little tags that say whether they're expe- accepting speaker requests or whatever was is or not was is really cool. So I I really appreciate that. And the other thing that I didn't realize until after the app actually released because. Maybe on the beta, I don't. For some reason, on the beta, I wasn't getting any notifications. I don't think. But once I got the actual app itself, it's like usually the first notice I'll get for like when Apple pushes a developer update or something like that is your app, and it's like a really nice reading interface. And so, like for example, this morning, uh, because we're waiting on. Uh, the new Xcode for the new release that's about to come out. We're waiting on that to come out. I've been opening your app a couple times uh, this morning already, just like hoping to see something new or whatever, even though I know I'll get a notification ping before I would ever manually notice it myself. So it really is, or at least for me, it has been like a really awesome resource for sort of getting my hand on what this community sort of looks like. Uh, if that makes sense, because otherwise it was all just organic through Twitter. Yeah, that's really nice to hear, Charlie. And thanks a lot for for saying those words because they really mean a lot. And that's pretty much the goal of Cocoa in the end. It's kind of filter everything that's happening on Twitter and other kind of sites and social medias and put in a place where people can just follow everything in an organized way. And so I'm not the only one, uh, it appears, that felt the same way because last December, uh, before you had actually even released the app technically, but it was in, it was in test flight for a while. Uh, you won the most inspiring indie app award, uh, with the hacking with Swift Swift community awards. What was that like? Oh, super weird. First, because <laughs> I, I wasn't really, I wasn't really expecting to win it because a, it was still a, an app on beta and B, if you look at the apps on the, on, that were nominated, they were freaking good. I mean, you had your app, Dark Noise. You had the Dice app, the, the PC Call app. I mean, Flighty. Fly, I mean, Flighty is really good too. I mean, if you look at that, the competition was huge. So I was like, yeah, I'm, not, I'm never going to win. So my main motive of happiness to be there was like, yeah, if maybe Paul Hudson mentions my app, like, uh, oh, this app won, but this one Coco app is really cool for developers. Maybe you could check it out. I was like, that was going to be my win right there. But then I won it. I was like, how should I react to this? I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know how to feel about this. I wasn't expecting this. And I, I haven't even prepared anything to, to say thanks or anything. I was like, oh, God, this can't be happening. But it was for sure one of the highlights of last year. Yeah. And like those awards were explicitly just votes by the community. And I think that speaks to how other people felt about the app is that it it really is this like exciting centralized resource uh, for iOS developers in particular or, or well, Apple developers in particular. And so, yeah, I think it was extremely well-deserved and uh, I'm especially feeling it you know, now that it's actually released, I'm I'm using it all the time myself. So, well done. <laughs> Thank you, Charlie. It means a lot. And in the end, that was kind of a huge push in my motivation to keep delivering the product and trying to finish it. Because I think that was the point where I decided, okay, enough playing with SwiftUI. I must deliver this because, well, people seem to enjoy it. So, that, that winning there felt make me feel like, okay, people want this. I must feel their their wishes and make and put this out 
So how did the actual launch go? Did you do any sort of marketing or anything <sighs> leading up to it? Or it was sort of all this organic uh, marketing that you were getting from the community sort of fueling everything? So to anyone listening, uh, please follow Charlie Chapman advices and, for example, Jordan Morgan advices, because I'm probably the bad example to follow. So uh, I was like a few hours before releasing and I was like, yeah, maybe I should ping someone from 9 to 5 Mac. And so I pinged uh, Dan Rambo uh, because I already met him before in Swift Aveiro last year. And I was like, yeah, well, look at it. I'm going to release this app. And you already heard of it and talked good things about it. Maybe if you want, you could try to write a review on it or something. But as you may know, uh, reviewers require time to do so. And you must kind of ping them with enough time to do so. So, well sending them an email um, it wasn't even email. Uh, it wasn't even an email it was like a twitter message like three hours before lunch <laughs> it's probably not a good idea <laughs> yeah that seems to be a running theme on the show yeah and that's even worse when you have people sharing great resources like you and jordan talking about it and how, how important it is uh, but uh, somehow i still managed to kind of forget it and i the truth is i kept telling myself that yeah this is a developer app so nobody is going to share this but in the end it's not you that needs to decide it you you, you kind of need to prepare your work to do to just to, to be shared by some media outlet but please let them decide if your work is worth sharing or not so did you did you make like a press kit or anything like that uh, i did it was like built <laughs> during those three hours before <laughs> that's the thing man like the last couple days before release or, or the last week maybe before release feels like you do like 90% of the things that people see. Uh, it, it, it's just like as a massive whirlwind, I feel like, or at least it was for me. Oh, it is. And I think I have a problem. I don't know if that's with everyone, but uh, the less time I have, the more excited I am to release, yeah, to release yeah. something. So <laughs> I, I just try to kind of postpone everything that I need to do. And just won't release it in the way it is, right? Uh, the way it was. So I think that was kind of the big problem there because, well, as you know, doing some kind of press kit and contacting media outlets three hours before the release is definitely not a good idea if you want some kind of marketing. So how was the launch itself, though? I mean, once once you did put it out, obviously uh, you probably didn't get any write ups uh, right away. But how was how was the launch of the app? Oh, the launch was pretty good, to be honest. Uh, especially considering that no media output uh, shared it. Uh, but it was pretty good. I mean, I managed to get around 2,000 users in the first week, I think. And I had like, I didn't. I, I think right now I only have one, one review that is not a five-star review. So I think that's pretty good, especially considering Dang, that yeah. it, it, it pretty much grew organically. I mean... It's pretty much where developers sharing it on Twitter, other developers, other developers looking at it, looking at it and sharing it too. I mean, there's no kind of promotion or anything. I mean, of course, some people with more followers than others decided to share, it. and of course, that boosts downloads uh, more than more than usual. Uh, but that was pretty much it. And there's also a amazing uh, alternate app icon that is probably the reason for all the success you've gotten that other people oh, should, should definitely I mean, go check it's out. It's the one I use. <laughs> is it really? Oh, yes. Uh, That's I mean, awesome. I'll be honest. It's not the one I use in my in every single device. On my iPad, I use the Swift Awards icon. On my iPhone, I use yours. Ah, very nice. And yeah, for those listening, uh, Pedro asked for a sort of uh, launched 
uh, style icon where it's the sort of what's the word I'm looking for like a draft table sketch kind of thing uh, which will probably be what I use for the icon for this episode actually so you can just see it if you look at your podcast player if that supports it yeah you you will definitely see how awesome it is I mean it's perfect I love it and thank you again for doing it when you reached out I was just like because I already like loved your app by that point and so I was extremely excited uh, (laughs) because it's it's just cool to see I don't know it's cool to see something that you you made uh, showing up in some app that in your head is this you know this other legitimate application that somebody else has spent all this time on and seeing that on my home screen uh, and I I think a couple other people have added theirs like Nighthawk uh, has a app icon like that i made kind of based on the launch style as well so that's uh, great i want that to be a thing now is uh everybody comes on the show (laughs) should make an alternate app icon using the stuff that i had that would be an awesome (laughs) idea because come on the world needs more alternate app icons yes that is definitely true whether it's whether it's uh looks like launched or not uh yeah yeah, i i love alternate app icons coming from the android world uh it was really hard to lose the ability to like tweak your home screen the way that I want. Like I'm still pretty salty that I can't move my icons to the bottom of the screen, but at the very least, if I'm using indie apps, I can switch to all their honestly, extremely well done uh, alt app icons because that seems to be like a playground for indie developers. And so I always really appreciate that. Yeah. Alternate app app icons are amazing, especially when you kind of organize your, your iPhone based on colors. For example, I like to organize my backgrounds based on colors. So I have like, all blue, all blue icons, all yellow icons, all red icons, and being able to customize which icon I want to use for a certain app also allows me to kind of organize uh, those colors by sections. So, so yeah, we need more alternate app icons, please, if everyone is listening. <laughs> if there's one lesson you take from this entire show, uh, it's yeah. make an alternate app icon. I mean, I don't know yeah. if that's really good advice. For uh, sure. It's more selfish advice, but I, I'm, I definitely endorse that message. <laughs> Oh, you, you, th- you think that's selfish? Okay, let's do this way. So, if everyone, anyone needs an alternate app icon, please contact Charlie Chapman. Uh, <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> can help you build your own. It's hold up, free. hold up. <laughs> yeah, I need to start a service. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> nah, it'll be awesome. I'm continuing Indie Support Weeks this week by featuring the app Countdowns by Shay's Apps. Countdowns is an app for iOS and macOS designed to help you count down to the important moments in life. Perfect for birthdays, holidays, weddings, anniversaries, vacations, retirements, and any other special events you can think of. Personally, I found Countdowns while looking for a way to put a countdown widget in my today screen showing how many days I had until the launch of my app Dark Noise. Since then, I've used it all over the place to count down to project launches, like this podcast, for example, or track how many days until a deadline at work or birthdays for my kids. Um, Honestly, I just use it for all sorts of things, and it's been really, really great. And while I was researching for uh, doing this little feature, I actually just found out that there's a Mac version now that he released a couple months ago. So I'm really excited to get all those countdowns on my Mac as well. It's totally free to try out, and there's a pro mode you can buy that unlocks iCloud syncing, display customizations, custom notifications, and a couple other things. Definitely give it a try. Uh, You can find it in the App Store for the Mac and iOS, and that's Countdowns by Shay's Apps, and uh, I'll have a link in the show notes for you to check it out. And now back to the show. 
Uh, so moving on from Cocoa Hub, then there's another thing I'm really excited to talk to you about, and that is you are a conference organizer. So you run the Swift of Arrow. I said that right? Oh yeah, you did. I did. All right. I said you you run that conference or organize that conference. Uh, so before we get into what like it's like even running a conference, what's sort of the pitch on that conference in general? So Swift of Arrow is a three day event dedicated to dedicated to Apple Swift language, featuring an international top tier panel of mentors and an unusual workshop based format yeah that's that's the part i'm curious about because it seems like it's sort of different the way it's set up than a normal conference yeah uh, usually you you would have speakers so people just go to a stage and do talks but instead of swift, swift Avero and a few other conferences around europe uh, you also have a workshop format where instead of being on the stage and listening to talks, you can actually co- uh, collab with the mentors and get to code during the, the event. So what what motivated you to do that? Is that like a thing that you had seen somewhere else or is this sort of an idea that you had? Uh, actually, I've just joined Swift Avery like three years ago and this is going to be the fifth edition. So this started before me or before I even started doing iOS engineering. Okay. But uh, Swift Avery was inspired, if I'm not mistaken, if I'm not wrong, by Swift Alps, which is also another con- workshop-based conference. Uh, during the first editions, I believe, we even had... Uh, Bonto, who is one of the organizers of that conference, come to Portugal to help us. And so, like, what is the main, uh, like, experience that someone would have going to it then? You know, like, instead of, you know, you, you go to the conference, you grab your swag from all the sponsors, and then you sit down for different sessions and listen to somebody give a speech on something. What What is the actual experience of, like, a workshop versus, versus that normal uh, sort of keynote with presentation style so the way i like to see it is that in a talk you have to listen to the talk and then you get get to then you go back to home and you get to practice what you what you saw in a workshop based format you actually practice during the time you are learning it so i it's a little more intensive because well it's two hours per workshop so you're actually spending a lot more time on a, on a specific topic but at the same time you can go a lot deeper and actually go on ends with it so i believe you can you in a way you can kind of learn a little more from workshop based format and like another thing that i noticed from sort of the the website that you have around this conference is there seems to be a heavier emphasis on sort of community and networking and and like sort of hanging out and feeling the the city of era that you're in yeah um in particular there's a there's a note that there's a midsummer festival that happens around the time uh that you do the Uh, conference where it says people you hit people on their heads with plastic (laughs) hammers yeah i need to understand if if nothing else comes out of this whole podcast i need to understand what that is so this is this is going to be really hard to explain. So uh, we ha- uh, every every year in June we have some kind of celebration where we I don't even know what we celebrate, but we pretty much just smash people's heads with plastic hammers. So that's pretty much it. I mean, it, it's 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 just like a, 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 a night event where you go out and people are just kind of drinking, hanging out, but then and you also have people with Plastic cameras smashing on your head. <laughs> They're just like handing them out, and the expectation is that you're bonking people in the heads all night. Oh yeah, and oh, and please keep in mind that this, the plastic camera also makes a little boink when it's smashed. <laughs> of course. 
it's i mean <laughs> this year is going to be a little hard considering the whole coronavirus situation but if everything goes back to normal next year you, you should probably attend it you'll have some fun trust me yeah so i guess that's that's the the elephant in the room right is uh this year everything is crazy but it seems like i i don't want to say especially crazy because obviously it's crazy for lots of people but for conference organizers and especially independent conference organizers this is like an insane uh experience so like yeah i'm really curious to talk to somebody who so it normally or it's planned for running in june is that right yeah and as we're recording right now it's uh march right so nobody really knows what june's going to look like but we do know that the big uh like you know conferences related to big companies and stuff those have all either canceled or gone remote or uh have postponed or something by now so like the way I've understood it from other people talking about it is that's a lot easier for them to do than it is for a lot of these small independent uh, conferences to do. So, like, what what are all the things that you're sort of wrestling with right now? Oh, so I think no one is prepared to move a conference to a remote format in two or three months. And so we are still figuring out what's the best thing to do because in the end, people are paying for your conference and you have to make sure that you can live to their expectations. With such a small window to adapt, and in this case... It's not only the organizers that have to adapt, our mentors and speakers may need to adapt too. And if they don't feel comfortable doing it, we may as well cancel the whole thing. But at the same point, at the same point a lot of people bought airplane tickets that companies will only postpone instead of refunding. So I feel there's no right answer between doing it, postponing, postponing it or canceling it. Because no matter what we decide, something could go wrong and the uncertainty and lack of knowledge on what the future will be is what makes this question so hard to answer. In short, we are trying. We are really trying our best to make it possible, but we don't want to compromise quality or force anyone to do something they don't feel comfortable with. And this also leaves me really curious on how this year's Dub Dub will see will be. It takes months to prepare a conference like that, and I can only imagine how hard it is to organize such an event. And now, all of a sudden, they have just three months to migrate everything to a full remote environment. Can you even imagine how much work that, that is? I, yeah, I know. It's a lot. If it wasn't Apple, I would be hoping for some sort of uh, retrospectives coming out of that because there's so much I feel like that can be learned. We could all learn a lot yeah. if WWDC goes right. Definitely. Yeah. And like, obviously, they have the advantage of uh, presumably there's people on staff there that that's their full time job. So at least you know they're getting to focus all of their all of their time just on figuring this thing out with with the resources of apple also yeah that, that that definitely helps but even then it's come on it's just two or three months to migrate a whole event for a specific remote environment i mean that has to to be really hard to do even when you have a specific workforce for this oh yeah definitely yeah because like uh a couple uh, i guess it was last week google io just straight up canceled theirs didn't they yeah, I think so. And they were planning to go remote at the start. Yeah. Yeah, they hadn't announced dates. And as of now, WWDC hasn't announced any dates either. So they also have the ability to like push things back farther if they need to. I think even if they didn't announce dates, I think they mentioned summer somewhere. I think they said the word June, actually. So they can only push it back so far. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It would be probably easier if it just said summer. Yeah. With June, it's kind of like, yeah, you just have 30-day window. Yeah. Goodness. Yeah. I, it's just like, it's just such a crazy, crazy, th- unprecedented thing. Um, and especially for like a conference like yours, where so much of it is, 
you know, you're not just trying to communicate an organization's uh, ideals and frameworks and stuff to a group of developers. Your conference is built around this sort of experience for people. Yep. And so, like, how do you try to translate that to something remote? It's just got to be a really difficult problem. And every conference organizers must be going through the same kind of thing. Yeah, I think that's the $1 million question. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of the answer that we are all seeking to, to find. But there are some conferences that are, I think it was Apps Build, App Builders or Swift Ops, I'm not sure. But they, also, they announced that they were going to be remote. And they were going to partner with a company specialized on, on this kind of event. So I'm really curious to see how it goes. Yeah. Are there any sort of like uh, examples of remote conferences, you know, before all this happened that people are latching onto to sort of try and glean any knowledge that they can off of that? Are there any leaders that are sort of talking openly about what they're doing uh, that everybody's sort of latching onto? I'm afraid I don't know the answer to that question. <laughs> I know there are some companies a little more prepared for this and that can, can uh, that kind of uh, give their services in order to help people organizing those kind of conferences. But I'm not really into it, to be honest. I mean, it's not something that we are thinking of doing. Uh, we are thinking of doing with Swift Avail. We are trying to to that, to this to, to to do this by ourselves because Swift Avail is not generating any kind of money. We are a no no profit organization, so. We can't really afford to get a company prepared to work to to organize a conference remotely without with with, with this kind of setup. I think. Yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of a crazy problem all around, and I I wish you and all the other conference organizers uh, the best of luck during all of this. I wish too, and but it's also funny because at the same time I've also heard a lot of mentors and speakers saying something that is quite true is that. We gotta find a way to to organize something because the world cannot stop, and we we have to give kind of people some kind of entertainment because well they are already stuck at home. So maybe a conference can help them uh, find some relief and learn something and get away from their daily routines of being stuck at home. So it really is a a huge problem, and I'm afraid no one has the answer yet. Yeah, and one of the nice things about uh, when humans are put under stress of these types of events is there's often a lot of creativity and ingenuity that sort of pops out of that. And so uh, I think, you know, whether or not you believe that this is all going to be over and the world will go back to normal or this is going to be with us for a long time, uh, in either of those scenarios, I think the world's going to be different just because we've put people in a pressure cooker situation where they're going to come up with new creative ideas. And I... I suspect that conferences, you know, post 2020 will look different if for no other reason than people have come up with new ideas during this. Not only conferences, but also companies because, well, everyone is working remotely and I, I believe that most companies are still able to achieve the results they want with people working remotely. So maybe we can see a shift and more companies will allow people to work from wherever they want. Yeah, I'm, I'm suspicious of uh, like a lot of companies looking at their balance sheet when they didn't have to... Uh, or, or looking at their, like, you know, building rent and all that stuff and thinking, hmm, I wonder how much money we could save, uh, which yeah. <laughs> I think all the people that have been advocating for remote for a long time are are in for a big sort of uh, ideological war because currently most of the people that are running remote offices are doing so with, like, good intentions and are sort of thinking of best practices and everything, but they're about to get the sort of 
people that are doing it simply for cost effective reasons, which means it's not going to be the most effective or uh, employee uh, happiness centric version of remote work. And so they're going to have their work cut out for them to like show people the way to do it properly. And I'm sure already a lot of people who are just thrust into remote work in this insane time right now, their experience of remote work is going to be negative simply because everything is crazy right now. Um, but it's it's going to be work to untangle that, you know, remote work equals this stressful trying to work with your kids at home scenario from, you know, what the reality of remote work really could be. Yeah. And, and not only that, but you are right now, you are forced to work at home. Working yeah. remotely is not working at home. It's work from whenever you want. If you want to work from the coffee shop, you can do it. If you want to work from a restaurant, you can do it. If you want to work from the beach, you can do it. And right now, all you can do is just work from home and, and avoid leaving home at all costs. So I, I don't, I don't think that people should, should use this ex- experience as kind of, uh, the equal to an, uh, to a remote experience because truth is, it isn't. This is working at home. This is not real remote working as it should. Now, are, have you like wor- worked remote? Do you work remote now? I'm working remote full time now, uh, in a company that has been working remotely since its start. It's called Doist. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, so so you have that experience exactly. And I assume it's different for you right now than it normally is, even though you were already working remote? Uh, more or less, because uh, I've joined Doist this month. So, oh, yeah. I still don't have the, the full remote experience in a way. But from what people keep saying and sharing, it's like, hey, don't, don't, get, don't, don't get this wrong because this, this is not remote as it should. Yeah, that makes sense. So I, 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 I kind of try to believe my colleagues on that because, well, they have like, I think it's 13 years of experience working remotely. So that, that has to, to, to show something. Oh, yeah, definitely. So I guess the, the last question, or actually, before I get to the last question, I've asked the last two guests oh. this. And, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to throw a curveball at you here. Uh, I didn't warn you oh, about this. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I... Uh, but I've asked the last two people this, and I, I think this is going to be kind of a fun thing to ask people. So, uh, leading up to what hopefully will be WWDC this year, what kind of things are you hoping to see come out of that? I think I'll stick to, to one of the easiest things to answer, and is that I really want to see SwiftUI expanded, see more features, see how it evolved during the last year, and see how, how it's going to be to develop using SwiftUI more and more. Uh, at the same time, I'm also curious uh, with one little thing, and is that that is if they are going to to drop or to not not in this case to drop, but to to increase the the, the minimum development targets uh, next year. Because, for example, if they don't, adopting SwiftUI in a project is going to be much easier because you don't have to support at least iOS 14. You can just support iOS 13, and for those teams that use to the last two version cycles, uh, that's going to be a lot more helpful because, well, they can start thinking about using SwiftUI right now. But if they increase that to iOS 14, then you'll, you kind of get, you know, you're kind of getting the cycle that oh, I'll have to, add, to wait another year to get a full SwiftUI experience. Yeah. So uh, I'm really looking forward to see uh, how that goes. Yeah, I've seen a couple of rumors that, uh, obviously rumors, uh, that yeah. they might do a similar thing with 14 that they did with 12, where... Yeah, I saw it too. All the same devices that support 13 will also support 14. And so that would at least help that problem because there would be... Exactly. A stronger transition over... You know, there'd be a lot less people that stay on 13. Um, I think the problem with with the switch from 12 to 13 is that they dropped 
more devices than normal because they had done that sort of holding off period. And so there's a lot of people out there that have devices that can't uh, even upgrade to 13. Yeah, but I think that's kind of a lot, a lot easier to, to justify to your product owner or to whatever is responsible for taking the decision because uh, when, you don't, when you are not dropping devices, it's a lot easier to say, hey, we are going to, to bump this because, well, people are already using it, so it's fine. Right. Uh, but then uh, dropping, devi- dropping more devices than usual the next year, I think it's also reasonable considering that they are kind of extending your device's life cycle by two years instead of one year so. In the end, they, they'll have to, to drop it, you know. It's it's not something that they could just can, oh, okay, we'll never drop a device. They'll have to eventually. Right, right. Um, and then the last question, the one I did warn you about, is uh, a question that I ask everybody, which is, what is a person that's inspired you uh, in your work that you'd recommend other people check out? So, I recommend everyone to check Apollo Reddit application. It was built by Christian Selig, who has also been a guest in your podcast. So, Christian put a lot of work into Apollo with lots of little features and tons of customization. And that's something that really inspired me while designing and building Cocoa Web. For example, I usually just create what I assume to be the optimal experience for a user. But then, Apollo taught me that having the option of letting your users decide how they want to use your application is much more powerful than force them on your favorite path. Because your favorite path might not be everyone's favorite path. It was also one of the first applications that I saw completely embracing alternative icons, which is something I love, as you know. So if you're listening, thank you for building Apollo Christian. It's an amazing app, and I'm really looking forward to its future. Yeah, I am in the same boat. Uh, Apollo is an app that even like I go in like waves of using Reddit versus not using Reddit. Um, when I do use Reddit, <laughs> I use Apollo pretty, pretty much exclusively. Yeah, that's a must. But even when I'm in a wave where I like don't really use Reddit that much, I still open Apollo all the time because it's one of my go-to apps for like, if I'm trying to solve a UI problem, I'll open, you know, a bunch of different Apple apps. Like, obviously that's kind of the go-to move, but then Apollo is, it's one of the main, uh, like not third party apps that I use as a reference point to be like, has he had to solve this problem anywhere? Because almost always the way he solved it is is one clever but two it sort of matches my my sort of style or opinions on how ios development or how ios apps should behave yeah i, I usually rely a lot on apollo when i want to add a new a new feature and i think that i could have multiple settings for those feats for that future because well if you look at apollo it has a bunch of options on which you can customize how you deal with your with the whole app so i think the screen that i look the most you know Apollo is probably the settings menu yeah, <laughs> it's a big one. Oh, it is for sure. And I'll also like to, I mean, to, this is going to be easy. So I'll also like to recommend your app because Dark Noise taught me how little app, little animated app icons can also really improve your UI. And I've decided to, for example, my error screens and my syncing animation, I've decided to improve that with little art animations thanks to your app, Charlie. Oh, that's awesome. And uh, I love, as anybody who follows me on Twitter knows, uh, I just adore little little tiny animations and apps. Um, and I think yeah. <laughs> the, I had that thread that went a couple weeks ago. And I think there was a couple from, yeah, uh, from Cocoa amazing. Hub in there. Uh, like your little your little paging thing. That was really cool. Yeah, that that's really nice. And, and now it's I think it's a time where you can hijack your new Reddit or new subreddit for animations. 
Oh yeah, I don't think I've mentioned that on the podcast, but uh Oh, come on. Oh no. I I I feel bad cuz I can't remember what his full name is. I know what his Reddit name is. Uh <laughs> I think it was Every Little Animation or something. Well, so the subreddit is Every Little Animation, but uh the person who created it is I I apologize, but I know his his username is Bendigas uh, underscore B. Yeah, it'll be on the notes. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, it'll be in the show notes. But uh, yeah, I made that like thread about asking for people to just post their favorite little animations and apps, and it kind of took off. And then uh, he created a dedicated subreddit to that exact thing. And so I like just love opening this and just scrolling through and looking at everything, even if I've already seen them before, because they make me so happy. It's a huge source of inspiration. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll link it in the show notes. I mean, even your even your thread, uh, I kind of used it to look for inspiration and see, hmm, I could kind of steal this. This looks cool. Yeah. People are so awesome. Uh, <laughs> iOS developers are so awesome. And so, yeah, I, I love seeing all that stuff. So, yeah, definitely check out that subreddit if you if you also like little animation touches in apps. Uh, so I think I think that's pretty much it. Uh, is unless there's something else that you'd you'd really like to get off your chest while you're talking to the world. Oh, is this a time where I say thanks to my mother, my parent, my father, and all my brother? Or or oh no? Yeah, and then you tell your kids uh, to go to bed because you know if you're listening, go to bed or whatever they do during award shows. Oh, this is nah. <laughs> now I don't have anything left to say. I mean, th- thank you a lot for having me. It was really nice to to talk with you. And well, this is a really cool experience to be on the launch podcast. Thank you. Uh, and thanks for making, you know, your app. So where can people find you and uh, your app and your conference? So uh, people can find me on Twitter at Pedro M.M. Carrasco. Uh, Coco Web is at Coco Web app, I believe. I actually don't think if it has the app or not, but it's, it's one of those. It'll be in the show notes. Yeah, exactly. And people can find the conference I help organize with a bunch of other people uh, on Twitter too. And it is at SwiftAvero. Awesome. Well, thanks again for coming on the show. Um, I will see you guys in two weeks, hopefully, depending on if the the world is still running and the internet is still on. Let's hope so. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks for listening. If you'd like to discuss the show, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Chucky C or tweet the show directly at launched.fm. You can also discuss the episode with me, other listeners, and sometimes our guests on our dedicated subreddit, r slash launched.fm. If you like the show, I'd really appreciate a rating or review in Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Breaker, or whatever your podcast of choice happens to be. And you can find show notes and more at launched.fm.com. <laughs>